Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Previously on Mentally Yours. So normally a four panel comic of a cartoon pigeon with one eyeball floating, because why not? Uh, and it normally experiences something relating to anxiety or depression or some other mental health issue. And it might be negative or it might be positive. It just kind of depends on what I'm trying to channel in that time. It's Mentally Yours from Ellen and Uh, focus on your mental health, you surely won't regret. It's mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours. Mentally yours. Welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's weekly podcast about all things mental health. My name's Ellen. And I'm Yvette. And this week we'll be chatting to Mark Lemon. He's a children's author. When he was 12, his father was murdered. His latest book, Magical Wood, aims to help children who are dealing with bereavement themselves. So, going back to when I was 12 years old, I lost my father to murder. It always feels weird saying lost, because I didn't lose him. He died. The story essentially goes, uh, we had a cleaner that was also a family friend, and she was going through a difficult uh, marriage at the time, or breakup, as it were. She decided that she wanted to get her post directed somewhere else. So my mum and my dad decided that they would get it directed to our house. And her husband was very abusive, and she decided she'd had enough in terms of uh, the marriage. So one day, my dad went over to a house she was cleaning in, I think it was Histon, it's called, a little village outside Cambridge. Her husband followed 
her over there and basically waited outside to see, you know, just spying. Saw my dad's car outside. Uh, it was a red MR2, so you couldn't really miss it. He went off to uh, a local supermarket and bought a boning knife and then went to the house. And he went around the back, went into the kitchen. They had like a, co- a confrontation with my dad. By all accounts, they had a confrontation. Then it sort of ended, the scuffle ended. And then he picked up a knife and basically stabbed my dad twice. And then he went and stabbed him again uh, another 17 times. So, and then he turned on his wife and stabbed her twice, but she managed to run out of the house and survived. So the police picked him up pretty much immediately after that. The thing is, he only got four years for it. So, which was 1992. So it was, you know, the judicial system was totally different, I'd imagine. At the time I was at school. So, you know, it's it's one of these things you can remember everything in your mind so clearly as you would, you know, when, when anyone special to you dies and you, you, you remember those moments. But um, I remember the teacher coming in and asking me to go home, going to get my bike and it was locked to a friend. So I had to run back again and get my friend to come and unlock it and then cycled home. And I remember cycling home and just pinching myself and just going, is this, you know, something's happened, mm. you know, and you just know in your mind. What did you think had happened at that point? Or had your teacher I said? I, I just don't know. You know, I, I knew something awful had happened. You just get that sense in your stomach and the adrenaline was pumping. And I just remember cycling as fast as I could home and when I arrived into the close because we lived in like a little cul-de-sac sort of close and, and seeing police cars and cycling across the green to our house and just hearing my sister crying in the front living room and just being greeted by a load of policemen and going through to the kitchen and my mum taking me upstairs to we had like a spare room she took me in there and she just said dad died this morning yeah, as you can imagine, it was just, I just embraced her straight away and burst into tears. And then I, I thought, I just want to get out of here. I can't stay in here. So I got on my bike and I cycled back to school because a friend of mine who, whose father had died a couple of years previous from cancer. It's funny, I just went immediately to her just because I knew, you know, her dad had died and it was like this. Uh, but also dropped my bike on and started crying on the, the driveway leading up to the school. So it was the school had just broken up. So all the kids were coming out. So obviously everyone was watching. Teachers came down, took me into the school. You know, I just remember just sobbing and crying. And uh, I went back to a friend's parents' house after because I didn't want to go home. I just, you know, when you walk into that situation, there's just strangers and police. And, you know, it's the strangest thing. And then that evening I went home. And I remember sitting down with my uncle, who was actually a, a priest or a vicar, and him telling me how he died. And, uh, and I remember walking over to the mantelpiece, grabbing my father's penknife and going, I'm going to do to this guy what you know he did to, to my dad. But yeah, I remember it very clearly. It's just one of those things in life that obviously you're going to, mm. going to remember. I'm interested that they were completely honest with you at that age. Did they go into kind of detail well, of what happened? No, he didn't go into obviously the full details yeah. in terms of what you know, happened to him mm. in terms of being stabbed 17 times and all yeah. that stuff. But he told me that, you know, this is the guy that did it. It was only until I'd read sort of newspaper articles and, and seen, because it was on, it was in the press, it was on Anglia News and it was, you know, so that was quite hard as well. So, you know, it felt like wherever you went, people kind of knew. But it was that, that unsaid thing, you know, it's like, that's the guy that's dad was murdered, you know. Oh, that's the way it felt, you know, not necessarily being the case in every room you walked into, but, you know. 
it's very hard for me to understand what that would be like. I think it's probably hard for a lot of listeners to sort of understand just because it's, it's so shocking just to yeah. kind of even hear about. Mm. How did you process it sort of then and then going forwards? I think at first it was, I didn't really talk about it. You know, I sort of locked it in. And it's, it's really funny, actually. Last week, I had a message from a girl that I used to be friends with and used to hang around with at the time that it happened. And she DM me on Instagram and said, uh, hi, Mark, you know, just been noticing everything that's been going on. And I wanted to say, I remember you and you, when it all happened, no one really knew what had happened, but we didn't want to talk about it with you. But you seemed very together and um, you still tried to make everybody laugh and all this sort of stuff. And I was like, okay. And obviously back then when you're 12, you're not going to remember these things. But I was like, okay. So that's an interesting take in terms of how I dealt with it. I probably just, I think I just locked it in, didn't talk about it, had a bit of counselling. It was just too early, I think, to to be sort of really open about it. You know, for for a couple of years, I lashed out and I had the anger and all of this stuff. But I quickly realised, and I was having a conversation today with someone who's, who lost their dad at a similar time under totally different circumstances, but I said, I just learned to deal with it and try and move on with my life. I'd quickly realised that if I had any animosity or anger that stayed with me, then my life would be completely a different story. You know, I think I just managed to manifest it somewhere. Anyone dealing with grief deals with it in their own way because they've dealt with it and you know, they've had a totally different situation. Or, you know, I think really it's learning to talk about it, learning to channel what you're feeling in a positive way, whether it's writing about it, whether it's listening to music, whether it's you know, talking to a friend. Or, and I think I only really learned how to do that in sort of at the end of my teens, I think, and I got to about 20, you know, I'd say. And that's when I went to music school and I did singing and things like that. And so creatively as an outlet, that felt like a positive way of, you know, getting through something like that. Yeah. It's been a long time since then that you've now created the book. Yeah. Why, why now? That's a very good question. I think it's funny. I've gone through it in stages. So when I mid twenties, I decided to go back and have counseling and that helped me a lot. And then I didn't have counseling for a long time. And then it's over the last year and a half. I, last summer, I wrote an article for The Guardian about it all and just telling the story. And it, I think that was my way of sort of cathartically dealing with it all, you know, and just the editor at The Guardian said, look, forget about how many words you need to write, just write, and then I'll sort the rest or, you know, edit the rest. I was like, okay. But the thing is, I had to dip back into all the newspaper cl clippings and article and things like that, and you just put everything to the back of your head and you, you kind of forget about, you know, there's little elements of what happens, you know, like, you know, the guy that did it went to the, bought a boning knife from the local supermarket and things like that. You don't really think about those things or remember them. It's just more the fact that he stabbed him and he killed him and that, that, that. So that was quite hard. And it was, it was like a self counseling session writing that, but off the back of it, you know, had loads of really nice comments and contact from people and that kind of got the ball rolling in terms of myself and, and talking about the whole subject of grief and you know I guess the way that my dad died was you know is shocking losing anyone is is awful but in that sort of manner 
at that sort of age, I guess, is is, is a huge impact on, on any young person. So then it came to the end of last year and I sat down, I was saying to my wife, what book shall I write next? I've got, you know, a few books in the pipeline and stories, you know, what, should I do another Otis Lemon? Or should I do another Thea Lemon? And she was like, well, why don't you do one for Winston's Wish? Because uh, I'd already raised some proceeds for them because I was looking for a charity to work with and obviously being a bereavement charity, it was perfect. So I sat down and I wrote The Magical Wood and it's quite, it was really hard to try and think how could I help a child and it in the manner that the story flows without it being too hard hitting, obviously. And I think that's probably why a lot of authors have steered away from writing a story about bereavement because it's quite hard to do it in a sensitive manner that a child can maybe you know, connect with. Because I know in your book, you say died. Yes. You didn't say pass away or disappeared or went somewhere. Yeah. How did you come to that decision to use that word? So that I went over to Winston's Wish once I had the story and it was quite funny. Actually, I was sitting in a room with, uh, with a few of the guys at Winston's Wish. I'd read it into my phone. So it was like they heard me do the voices and everything. It was quite hilarious. But, um, and they said, look, can we give you a suggestion? Maybe instead of saying passes away, say died, purely because there are some books out there that have said, you know, goes to sleep, passes away in the stars, which is all great and is probably a good starting point for speaking to a child and telling them where somebody has gone, if they feel comfortable doing that. But, so I was kind of, I was right, okay, I need to change this and, and do it that way. I think people are scared to say died, yes. especially to children. Yeah. There's a real like fear around saying it like it's a bad mm. word, but I think you're right. I think it's important to use those words because mm. even with um, going to sleep, I've heard people, kids, being quite confused by that and then being yeah. scared of going to sleep and, and stuff that, like that. that was the message is, you know, not all children, but some children, oh, okay, they're going to sleep. What if I go to sleep and I don't wake up? You know, and it's, yeah, it was important to, to put died in there. Can you tell us a bit more about the book? So what age group it's aimed at and also why you decided to focus on that age group? Mm. It's uh, ages four to eight years. I say that because that's my other books were, were targeted at that sort of audience. But since I've written it and people have bought the book, I've had um, parents contact me telling me that their 14-year-old dad died a couple of years ago, whatever it might be, has resonated with them and they've just burst into tears and it's really clicked with them. I was contacted last week and told that the mother's brother had died four years ago and the daughter had never really properly dealt with it. And so it was. they sat down and read the book. She's now just started secondary school and she burst into tears and she actually spoke about her feelings and how, you know, so it helped open up the conversation. So, yeah, I guess four to eight years, but it's it's amazing to hear that it's connecting with, um, you know, older kids as well. I think part of that is there are so few books about this mm. and we're also rubbish about talking about death in general, I think. When writing the book, I wanted to have a space in between pages for a moment of reflection, I guess. So close your eyes and remember someone special and then a page next to it for a child to express how they're feeling, whether it's drawing, writing. And then there's another um it's okay to feel sad, which I think is a really important message for, for children, for all children, really. It's all right to feel sad. It's all right to cry. It's all right to, you know, just let your emotions out. Have you found that parents are getting in touch saying it's helpful? Because I imagine it's a kind of way to start that conversation. (laughs) Yeah, I have. And again, another parent said, my 10-year-old had to finish the book for me Mm. because I I was in tears and I just couldn't read anymore because it resonated so much with, you know, with whoever they'd, they'd, they'd lost. So yeah, I have. It's been amazing. I mean, we've had stories... Really touching stories and 
I, I, that goes hand in hand with the book, I guess, when you've got a book like that and people reaching out and telling me their story about, you know, the, the husband who's died and left two children, young children and all babies. And, you know, and it's just it's awful. But I'm glad the book is helping in some small way. Going back to your own experience, your own story. Mm. So when you were 12, what helped, but what didn't? Because I think there's a lot of generally people are very scared to talk about death and particularly death to children. I think sometimes people think maybe they shouldn't even speak to children about death. Yeah. So, yeah, what helped you and what was less helpful? I think just just recognising that the child is going through that, you know, it helped me a great deal when I actually sat down and talked myself, you know. When I was 15 at school, I had an old headmaster who used to come back in and he did some help with the school and stuff, but they thought, OK, maybe he might help. Mark Lemon, sit in, have a chat. And I'd find it really useful. It was kind of a thought. He wasn't a counsellor, but me just sitting there and talking to him was really helpful. And so I think that's really useful to all children going through these things is let them, but also let them know that you're there, you know, sit next to them if they're feeling sad. Talk to them, just the little things, I guess, you know, it's kind of letting them know that you're there. Yeah, so I guess I guess the unhelpful things is just basically the silence, they're just stepping back, you know, because a child wants to know that they're supported. Don't walk into a room and, and just, it's like, oh, can't, can't say anything, you know, sure. yeah, because I might upset them. So you're a dad? Yes. Of a two, is that right? Two, yep, a seven yep. and a three-year-old. Um, how do you yourself talk to your children about this topic, about bereavement and also mm. mental health in general? Over the last year, I've, I've really started to... I mean, Thea, she's three, and she came up to me, and my, my wife's parents are very visible, and so is my mother. But you know, occasionally I'll say, Grandpa... So I'll talk about Grandpa because I want him to be in their lives, even though he's not. Thea would come up to me. It's like I was washing up or something. She came up to me. She said, oh, you know, where's, where is Grandpa? And I was like, oh, well, he died. He died when I was a, a boy, Thea. Said, oh, OK. Oh, all right then. <laughs> Just walked off. But now she knows that that's what's happened. And so I've sat down and I've read the book with them. And the other day, actually, <laughs> I don't know why, but Otis turned around and said, can we read The Magical Wood tonight, Dad? And I think I'd... Because, you know, it's a, it's a nice story. And I think he gets approached by some children saying, oh, your dad's written that book about, um, you know, dying or like someone did the other day to him. He's like, oh, yeah, 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 he did, yeah. I think it's just opening the conversation and, and just talking to them normally, I guess, you know. I'm going through stages. So when Otis is, say, he gets to 16 or wherever I feel he's old enough to talk to him about what's happened to my, you know, to his grandpa, then I will sit down and tell him. But I'm not looking forward to that. That's going to be quite hard. And... I feel like that's going to be the next stage that's really going to be tough, you know, is actually telling my children this violent thing happened to his to, to his grandpa because, he's not, I, you know, he's not going to be able to comprehend it. You know, he's like, how can somebody else do that to someone? So, so, yeah, I've kind of seen things as stages in terms of how we approach talking about my dad with the kids. Have you ever met with or just chatted online with other people who have been through a similar experience to yourself? Yeah, I guess I, I guess I have through power of social media and writing a book like this. I've been contacted quite a bit by people who, who have experienced loss, you know, in this sort of manner. And I haven't desensitised myself to it, but nothing shocks you when you've gone through something like this as a child. So, you know, I'm kind of 
and I'm very open to 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 anybody reaching out to me and, and talking about something like this. What would you like to see change regarding like conversations around death in general, mm. but also specifically for young people dealing with death? What do you kind of wish had been available to you? I think schools need to really approach it at a young age, approach death at a young age. So I think the stigma and the taboo around it is if you talk about death, it's like you've got a germ or it's gonna you're gonna catch it, someone's gonna die, you know. And I know uh, grief isn't grief isn't a mental health, not a mental illness. It affects yeah, your mental health. For sure. But it can lead on to you know mental yeah. health, mental Especially illness. Especially if you don't talk about it or process it. Exactly. So yeah, in schools, I think they just need to start speaking about it earlier. I know other countries do. I think in England, you know, I'm in the process of trying to get this as an animation. You know, whether it's classes, just popping it on. You know, just put it on. Let the kids watch it. Get them to understand about losing someone. You know, because babies are born every day, but people die every day. So it's the cycle of life. And I think kids need to understand that at an early age. And slowly but surely we're getting there. You know, there are great, like the grief cast, I know you carry Lloyd and, you know, things like that, which are amazing for, um, for adults, you know. But I think we just need a bit more work with the kids. Yeah, Work to be done. Definitely. Like, with even getting adults to talk about it. Yes. But yeah, I think starting early can only be a good thing. Definitely. So I'm really glad we had that chat with him. And it's quite an unusual thing, I think, to be talking out specifically bereavement, but also how children deal with it. I think people are very scared to talk about death with kids. Yeah. They think it will upset them or children won't understand, which they won't at first. Yeah. But people are very reluctant to talk about death. Definitely. Especially, I think there's something quite wrong in sort of British society. First of all, we're just not very good at talking about death in any sort of context. But yeah, in particular, I don't think we're very good at talking to children about death. I think there's this idea, possibly mistakenly, that children are sort of in this little ooh, happy childhood bubble and they don't know what's going on around them, so we better protect them. Which, I mean, obviously, you do protect them to a degree. If something huge like that has happened, if there's been a bereavement, they're going to know that something's happened anyway. Whether you say anything or not, they're going to know that, you know, they're going to sense something's, mm. they, you know, they know something's up. So, yeah, having a sort of a frank conversation, I guess. Mm. And it makes such a big difference to hear about death and learn about death from a parent or a counsellor. Because I think if you don't have that conversation, your first experience might be from, you know, some horrible newspaper headlines mm. or... Just something you see on TV. Yeah, a terrible film thing or yeah. just something that is not going to give you a healthy relationship with grief or mm. loss. I don't think people give kids enough credit as well, though, because, mm. I mean, especially I think especially kind of younger ones, I think they can be sort of very re- resilient. Like, I think a lot of the time they just... I mean, this is just my own experiences of being an auntie. I think kids generally, a lot of the time, they just sort of go with what's happening. So, like, they just accept that whatever's happening is the norm. So again, if you're honest with what's happened, like if you've mm. lost a relative and you say, you know, they've died, I think they, I think that's sort of better than, like I say, sort of shrouding it in mystery or kind of trying to pr- protect them entirely from it. Obviously, mm. you protect them from certain elements, as Mark was saying, you know, you wouldn't go into details because that's just not appropriate. But, you know, you'd answer their questions, and you'd actually say, you know, this has happened. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think they can be very sort of resilient and sort of absolutely they sort of pick things up anyway yeah in terms of sort of me being an auntie like my niece and nephew have sort of it's interesting actually it's quite strange when when I've sort of looked after them I think I mean I definitely remember the first time my nephew said something about death because I th- he was quite young at the time I think he must have been about four three or four and that shocked me in itself that he was that young that he even knew what death was 
Um, and he came out with some comment. And I mean, I was shocked because I didn't know that he knew about death. But then I sort of tried not to think too much about it because obviously what had happened is in a book, both of them now, my niece and nephew, have sort of mentioned it. But it's um, it's a strange thing because, it, like like you said to start with, I think people don't don't like to talk to kids about death. I mean, obviously, you're not going to do it all the time, are you? It's not like, (laughs) let's sort of do it all the time. Because again, as Mark says, you know, I mean, babies are born every day. And, you know, Mm. we talk about all the time. And, you know, kids have to get to know about that and where babies come from and all that sort of stuff in a straightforward manner without any sort of weirdness around it. So I think they need to know about death too in a fairly straightforward manner. And I do wish parents and people in general would talk about it before death happens because mm-hmm. i think there's a real tendency to just be like okay well when their grandparents die that's when we'll talk about it or when their first pet dies mm. it's like don't wait for a very emotionally charged situation before you even mention the concept of death mm. i think you talk about it early and talk about it openly and say this is a thing that happens mm. i've experienced grief and it's fine and it's fine to feel sad yeah that's such a good point because i think for a lot of people they might not talk to their children until, yeah, the the family dogs died. Mm. And even then, and you know, a lot of people, I think, still have that thing where, or, you know, it's gone to a farm or yes. it's gone to stay with a relative or something rather than have that conversation with them. But, you know, it, it is death is a fact of life. They're going to have to know at some point. But it's like you say, it's having a kind of a kind, honest, straightforward conversation where you can answer their questions properly. If you've been affected by any of the issues we've discussed today, please contact the Samaritans on 116-123 or go to the website at samaritans.org. Thanks very much to our producer, Juliet Nichols, and to Lucy Baker for our lovely jingles. We're on Facebook. You can find our group. It's called Mentally Yours. And you can also find us on Twitter at MentallyYRS. See you next time. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.